You acknowledge them for their efforts and their and their devotion. And yes, maybe the first go round when they bring it to me is not quite perfect. That's okay. I don't do things that are perfect every time, the first time. And so when I when I challenge somebody with more work so that, that they can maybe accomplish in a reasonable amount of time, they know that there's a need for them, there's a demand for them. Now, does that work for everybody? Of course not. What's going on, guys? This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. Today, our guest is Ward Schrader, and we are having a fairly wide-ranging conversation about entrepreneurship and Ward's experience as an entrepreneur who turned around 35 businesses and now invests in his own businesses and does so much more. Ward is in his 70s and has had a an extensive career as an entrepreneur, and we're digging into his experience and pulling out a lot of the lessons that he learned in entrepreneurship, growing and fixing businesses that other people had built and broken, right? He's fixing them up, growing them, and then selling them off. And he's doing so much more today. He's also a star on HGTV. He and his daughter have a TV show on HGTV. Very cool. They've done four seasons so far, and they are filming the current season. Very excited to have him on the show. If you want to look up his show on HGTV, it's called Bargain Mansions. You just Google his name and you'll find the show. Very cool stuff. And it's a great conversation with him today. He and I had a a long conversation, not recorded as well. He has so much knowledge, really great guy. And this is a great interview where we dig into knowledge and experience from entrepreneurship and why other people broke businesses that they built and how he came in, fixed them up and then sold them off and so much more. I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor and I help busy people passively invest in commercial real estate, specifically in apartment building and self-storage syndications. If you're interested in learning more and potentially interested in investing with us on a future deal, just go to investwithtaylor.com, fill out the form, schedule a call with me, and I will look forward to speaking with you then. If you're an Apple Podcast user and you enjoy the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind, you guys. I appreciate that so, so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher on the Apple Podcast ecosystem. People see your reviews. They think, hey, this person learned something from this show. Maybe I can learn something too. You know what? I see your reviews. I see that you're learning from the show and it gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling every single time that we're helping you escape the Wall Street Casino. If you do enjoy the show, no matter what podcast app you use, look us up, hit the subscribe button. That way you'll get every new episode every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Once again, our guest today is Ward Schrader of HGTV fame and so much more successful entrepreneur who's done so much in business, real estate, and life. Without any further ado, here we go. Ward, thank you for joining us today. Well, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. It's been a great conversation so far. You have such a fascinating, interesting, and inspiring background. For our listeners out there who don't know about you, your business, or your TV show, can you tell us about uh, what you do, where you come from real quick? All right. Well, I come from a small ranch in western Kansas. Uh, My dad was a farmer and a high school math, science, chemistry teacher. I went to a small college here in western Kansas and uh, took my degree in chemistry and math and studied a lot of physics. And only because I could pass those things, I couldn't pass English hardly, so... (laughs) I, I was uh, interested in those things. I did well in those things. 
Then I went to work at a company called Union Carbide as a salesman, applications chemist, whatever you want to call ourselves at that time. And um, loved my job. Really had a had a an interesting job. I got to get into every factory. I I have seen things made that that people will wonder about the rest of their life. But I really enjoyed that part. However, the part that I didn't enjoy was that I was never going to make much money. And and I was uh, being transferred back then, corporate world. You got transferred a lot. I was transferred every 18 months for nine years. Wow. And actually, my daughter, Tamara, who I have the television show with, was born. And my oldest son, Caleb, was born. And I moved them one summer and they cried all summer because they didn't know their friends, didn't have any friends. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, let's see, this is really not fair. I I grew up, I never lived anywhere, but on the farm I'm sitting in today, and I'm setting on today, and I had roots, and I knew what it was like to have stability, and I made up my mind right then, we're, I'm changing this. Took me a couple of years, but I made up my mind I was going into business for myself, and one day I finally came home, and I told my wife, I don't care if I have to dig ditches, I'm, I'm going to do it. And... Uh, I got started by, I did so we didn't have much money. My parents were comfortable, but not by any means have any surplus. And um, so I would, I sat around for a long time trying to figure out how do I get into business. So the first thing I did was real estate. So I bought a commercial office building, actually one that was kind of in trouble with some doctors and was able to turn that around successfully. As soon as I got that done, I I got involved in starting a fire extinguisher and fire and sales service business that I was very familiar with, and it was bankrupt. And I took that over. We were able to turn that around and make it a, uh, a big success. I, actually, I was only in it for about a year. I still had a partner. And then I went on to food distribution business. We delivered five states, uh, everything that a convenience store can handle, a couple hundred employees, uh, probably 150,000 square foot of warehouse and several million dollars worth of inventory that was also bankrupt. And I cut my teeth learning how to do bankruptcy. So I've never had a business course. I What I found though, is that it's all math. So I'm pretty good at math. I'm, mm -hmm. I've done enough math to, to fill several books. And, uh, and that made it easy. All I had to do was learn the definitions of the various things because it's all addition and subtraction and multiplication and there's not much calculus going on in in the business world and uh, so I, I did that i learned how to how to do all that i learned how to turn businesses around i really enjoyed that i did 35 different bankruptcies over 10 years and That's so i was in it in, in no no one kind of business they were i had a Almost 3,000 herd dairy at one time. I, I know more about milk cows than you want to know. I had three different trucking companies, but they were all different. The one, one hauled milk at all the dairies in Kansas. Uh, one was a commodities hauler, went all over the U.S., and, and another one was just a local route. I rebuilt Japanese engines, bought semi-loads of engines from junkyards, and tore them down, rebuilt them. Sold them to Zone and O'Reilly's and everywhere all around the world. And uh, what else? Oh, printed paperback books. If you wanted to to uh, write a book and and have it printed and sell it, we we our machinery was capable of five thousand books at a time. Now, wow, that's nothing compared to like your big major publishers. But they couldn't compete with me. 
they could compete when they printed 100,000 books. Their machinery was meant for that. They couldn't slow it down to do 5,000. That just barely got started. So 5,000 was my niche, and we were successful at that. Ended up selling it. A lot of these we sold. A lot of them we ran. I ran that food distribution business for almost 10 years. And uh, and as I said, that the bankruptcy got me involved in the real estate that was in trouble. And and that turned me on to uh, the business of healthcare because it was owned by docs. We became friends and uh, literally started surgery centers, started surgical hospitals, full-fledged hospitals. The last hospital I had that uh, we just finished selling was almost 1,000 employees, and 200,000 square feet altogether, medical office building, et cetera. So we, we owned and operated the hospital. We, we did own most of the real estate too, but we actually employed doctors. Uh, we probably had 30, 40, 50 doctors on staff that we were on our payroll. We had, uh, gosh, I don't know how many registered nurses, a couple hundred, 300, and so on. So that's been my life mostly for the last, uh, up until about five years ago, that was most of my life. We've been fortunate enough to actually succeed in, and develop some capital. And so we've become a very small, in the world of finance, private equity firm. And so we have funded several different businesses that I and one of the things I generally have to do is sit on the board of these businesses. But uh, I've funded a uh, a launch services company, so we will be. We've already we're building our own rockets, and we are building them out of plastic. It's a totally new concept, found through an association by a two-time shuttle commander in the in the Air Force. Uh, and he and five other guys got together and started developing this uh, rocket engine. Needed somebody that knew how to finance and fund and the business side of things. And so we uh, we got together. We launched our first major rocket uh, just awesome. about, well, January. And uh, our next one will go up the end of 23, and it will carry somewhere in the neighborhood of 2,500 pounds of payload, and it will go uh, in the actual orbit, and all of this done for a very small amount of money because the engine is all plastic, only two moving parts, and we'll be able to launch a complete rocket with payload for about 10 to $12 million. So if you want to compare that to SpaceX, theirs cost half a billion every time they launch. Wow. Now, they carry more, but that's the there's a difference. And so... That's one of the businesses I've launched or helped launch. I'm in a, uh, we're the largest. You, I don't think you have any Freddy's hamburger franchises back there, do you? I'm not that I'm aware of, no, but I have seen them in, in the Midwest. Yeah. Okay. We're the largest franchisee in Freddy's organization. Wow. Almost 80 locations. We also have a coffee franchise. So we're, we're going to displace Starbucks one of these days. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> We had a bank. We started a bank from scratch and sold it. Uh, we have a deli organization that we've financed in uh, Arizona and a lending organization that is kind of unique that lends to military, to soldiers, enlisted soldiers. Um, what else? I know I'm leaving stuff out. But, uh, <laughs> you've got a lot going on and you've done a lot in the past. And I want to dig into at least two aspects of you know what you've done and, and where you are now in, in life and in business. And 
I think one aspect that we kind of dug into before we were recording was the the people that are involved here and, and how they play into the success of these various businesses. So what have you found? I mean, there's a, just a huge variety of businesses that you've been involved in, but there are people left and right, no matter what business, you know, you're, you're involved in. So how has that played into your success in business? Oh, there's, there's a question that I've probably got 300 employees that know how to run a hospital better than I do. Maybe, <laughs> maybe a thousand. I, and that's, that's not the issue. The issue is having the spirit, the willingness to take a risk, the willingness to look at everything and say, well, if somebody else can do that, I can do it. There, there is nothing out there that anybody does that is it, it, out of your capability, as I'll say, or at least that's the way I feel about things. So when I see an opportunity, if I have the wherewithal, I, I go for it. So employees, obviously critical got to have great employees. And that is one of the things that I, I think you would find that uh, we have employees that have been with us for long periods of time, go from one project to the next, if you will. And um, one of the reasons they do that is because it's exciting and it's challenging and, and, and stimulating. And that's what we try to do for everybody. I think one of the things we were talking about before we got to recording was that People are happy when they feel needed. And when you have an employee that sits around and doesn't, isn't demanded of, he doesn't feel very needed. Therefore, he's not very fulfilled and not very happy. Mm -hmm. I, I have the philosophy of having everyone work. I mean, it, it isn't like you're, you're standing behind him screaming at him to work. <laughs> you just give him challenges that they're responsible for and you give them deadlines. And, and you make sure that actually maybe they can't quite get it all done, but you don't beat them up for that. You acknowledge them for their efforts and their and their devotion. And yes, maybe the first first go round when they bring it to me is not quite perfect. That's okay. I don't do things that are perfect every time the first time. And so when I when I challenge somebody with more work so that, that they can maybe accomplish in a reasonable amount of time. They know that there's a need for them. There's a demand for them. Now, does that work for everybody? Of course not. There are some people that if you put that kind of, if you put them in that kind of situation, they'll fold and, and they'll, they'll want to quit and go home. That's okay too. It's not a slap in the face to them or to me. It's that we don't fit together. And, and that's okay. Not everybody, I mean, you walk up to some people, you smell them and you don't like them. Well, <laughs> That's that's life, you know? I mean, they could be the nicest guy in the world or gal, and you just don't like it. There's something in your history, maybe, that turns you off. So I've never, I whenever I've ever had to uh, let someone go from their job, and in bankruptcy, we did a lot of that because they were almost always overstaffed. I, I picked the people that were the most unhappy in their job, mm. and, and I counseled them. Go find something you want to do. That you like doing, that you look forward to getting up in the morning and going to do it. You'll be 10 times better at it. You're going to make a lot more money at it and you'll probably have more freedom. So I, I would say that there's some, I don't, I don't have any records, but I would say some reasonably significant number of people that I've let go with counseling 
have actually improved their lot. And, and that's a great thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. That is, that is great. So when you're uh, looking at a bankrupt business and uh, looking at how you can turn it around, potentially, are there any keys that you look for that say, no, this business can't be saved or this one has some potential? Because I'm, I would bet, I don't know, but I would bet you didn't take every possible deal that came across your desk, right? Well, I kind of did, but not for the reasons that you think of. <laughs> okay, sure. Not because I thought every one of them was going to be successful. Sometimes banks, most times, banks had already repossessed it because of loans that weren't being performed on, underperforming loans. And so they would hire me sometimes to run the business, see if I wanted to take it over, uh, see if I thought it was a viable business, and then give a report to them, say, 90 to 180 days. So actually, almost every business I did, I took over under those circumstances. Wow. Maybe... I'm 35, maybe 28 of them I took over under those circumstances. And that that was a real, really nice gig because the bank was funding all the expenses. I was looking, I got to look at the business. I got to say, like the trucking companies, I don't care if I ever see another trucking company. They they didn't make enough money to be interesting at all. Mm. I mean, that That's kind of hand to mouth. I did orderly liquidations for the bank in those situations and got them the most money that I, that hopefully anybody could get them out of a bad deal. The others, probably a third of them, uh, is about what I've always thought. We were outrageously successful. We paid off 100% of the debt that was owed. We ran them for multiple years, employed lots of people, did lots of good stuff with them. And so that's actually how I got a lot of the leads on them was once I started doing that, word traveled from bank to bank. Hey, there's this guy <laughs> in Kansas that likes doing this crazy stuff. And, and I did like it. I, I got every six months. It was just exciting. I had to go in and had to organize the books, had to figure out what was going on. I had to get an understanding of the business. There was always some technical component. But one thing I will tell you is that Every business is the same. Don't let anybody tell you that they've got a unique business. That's that's not really true. You have accounts receivable. Everybody has accounts receivable. You have accounts payable. Everybody has accounts payable. You have a checkbook that needs balanced. You have taxes that need paid. You have employees that need paid. You You have about five or six critical things that every every business has. Then you might have one something kind of unique about your business. Maybe your inventory turns more than some business. So the food distribution business, my inventory turned 56 times a year. Every single week of the year, we were emptying the warehouse and filling it up. Wow. Uh, then you go to the dairy and my inventory of cattle didn't change a lot. I mean, maybe 10% a year. Now I'm, I sold three semi-loads of milk a day, but so I guess that's inventory too, but that's the uniqueness. It's, it's a little bit of what the business is, but other than that, they're all the same. Identify what your total cost of operating is. Relatively simple. It, it, people make a big deal out of it. From a standpoint of a bankruptcy turnaround specialist, if, if that's what I was, I'd come in, I'd look at every single expense, if they had decent books, I'd look at every single expense, add it all up, and it'd be a million dollars. And then I'd look at, uh, so that was all the costs. Then I'd look at 
well, what's all the revenue? And it, it's it's a mil, it's nine hundred and fifty thousand. Okay, <laughs> it's pretty simple. I get to break even. I got to raise all these prices over here five percent, or I could cut costs ten percent. Maybe would do it. I, I it's all relative, but some number in there you could cut costs. Cutting costs is a lot harder. Definitely, you can do it, but at some point, cutting costs just doesn't work anymore. You got to start making money, and and so one of the first things I I almost always did was institute a price increase immediately. Mm. Maybe the first day sometimes that I was there. It took me about half a day always to figure out what the cost of operations were. And then, bam, raise prices. That's not not totally true. There were some that their books were in such disarray that you couldn't really figure it out. Those were difficult to turn around. But the feed distribution was one of those. They hadn't balanced their checkbook in years. (laughs) They hadn't did a tax return in years. They had no financial statement on a monthly basis. They called the bank every morning and found out how much cash was there. That's how they knew how much inventory they could buy that day. Wow. That's a mess. <laughs> so if, wow. I had a, if I had a word of advice to anybody starting their own business, one thing that is absolutely sacrosanct is manage your books perfectly. Know exactly what it costs you to do business. Record it. Create a financial statement. If you don't understand what a financial statement is, learn. It isn't very hard, you, especially with the internet. You can Google any term you want and, and find out all the answers you need. Get a good account. Have an excellent account. That's another piece of information that everybody ought to have. Have a good account. But beyond that, if you do that, at least you're going to know that you're going broke. <laughs> well, that's, that's a big true. deal. Yeah. If you know you're going broke, now maybe you can make changes. But if you don't ever realize you're going broke and you just keep slipping away, pretty soon it's all gone. Wow. Uh, so anyway. Love that lesson. I also wanted to ask you, I mean, for, for our listeners out there, you know, you're you're in your 70s, right? And you're still working. You've got your TV show. You've got all these businesses, private equity you're involved in and, and all these house turnaround flips you're doing and so much going on. We were talking before we were were recording about retirement versus not retirement and how your perspective on that shifted as you, you know, started being an entrepreneur and working on things that you enjoyed. Can you tell us a little bit about that before we go to the three questions I ask every guest on the show? Uh, a little bit about, uh, say, no, say it again, please. Not Maybe. wanting to retire, finding or, or just enjoying, okay. you know, what you do. Well, yeah, it, it's it's always interesting to me when when I was working for Union Carbide, I'd I'd plan, I'd I'd do all the math and I'd figure out how soon I could retire because I was working for somebody else. Somebody else was making all the decisions. As soon as I got out of that and went into business for myself, I almost completely, I mean, I I can't say a hundred percent. I don't look at it, but truth is, is I don't need to look at it. I already know I'm not quitting. I. I gave up that thought process because I can work as hard as I want. And I and when I was in my 40s and 50s and 60s, I worked really hard. I was traveling all the time. I was building hospitals from coast to coast, surgery centers or whatever, and involved in quite a few other things. And, and there was a point I just said that was enough. I wanted to be home. I wanted to see my grandchildren, whatever, and go skiing or hunting or fishing or whatever I wanted to do. I wanted to do more of that too. So the beauty of being in business for yourself, and if you plan it out long enough, you 
have the opportunity to slow down, but you don't have to quit. I have, I have given up some of my profitability by having other people work for me, or I've given ownership of some things to other people so that I know they're interested in it. But I just, I, I think it's uh, invigorating to get up every morning to kind of know I can drink coffee till nine o'clock if I want to, or, <laughs> or I can go to my desk and I can start working and I never run out of things that I can do. I, I can, yeah, I know one of the businesses I forgot to mention. We own about five locations that are assisted living and dementia care facilities as wow. well in healthcare. But all of that is exciting. I love doing good things. I, lo- I like employing good people. I like being around people that are motivated. And it's just, I, I just can't even begin to figure out why I'd want to retire. I got the best of both worlds. I can go anywhere I want, anytime I want. I can work anywhere I want, anytime I want. The beauty of, a, a, of computers and the internet is that you can do that now. I can be in Colorado skiing and the top of the mountain, as long as I've got cell service, nobody knows whether I'm in the office or not. When they call or when, I, when they call me. So it's a blessing and a curse, I always say. If the blessing is I can go anywhere and do anything I want. The curse is I can go, it can find me anywhere I am. Mm-hmm. Track it down. As long as you got that cell phone on, you've got service. Yeah. Wow. Well, I appreciate you bringing us through your your realm of experience and in turning around these failing businesses and entrepreneurship, teaching us business lessons about how to save a failing business, the importance of knowing the numbers and having a good accountant. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. The first step to growing your wealth is tracking your wealth, income, spending, and everything else about your finances. You can start tracking your wealth for free and get six free months of wealth advisory with personal capital by going to escapingwallstreet.com and using our link. Create your free account today and automate the way you track your money. Personal capital is my preferred way to track my finances, and now we're making that available for listeners. Terms and conditions apply. See the personal capital website for details. Once again, to get the offer, go to escapingwallstreet.com and use our link. Back to the show. All right, Ward, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? I am. Great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? Well, right off the bat, you, you've you mentioned what I think may have been my worst investment, which was education. <laughs> I think I could have done everything I've done without going to college. Mm-hmm. Although I love having a chemistry degree and understanding things. Uh, my best investment, absolutely investing in myself. I haven't been in the stock market for 20 some years. I don't go, I don't invest. I Not true. But some of the businesses I own, there's 401ks. And as an owner, I get uh, distributions and whatever. That is not one one twentieth of where I've where my money is. I invest in things that I do, businesses that I run. I I buy the inventory, I buy the trucks, I buy the cars, I buy whatever there is to buy, and that pays me a bigger dividend than anybody that manages my money for me would ever do. Nice, nice. Investing in yourself, investing in your own businesses. Well, we had. The best investment, now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? Well, which one do you want to know about? (laughs) (laughs) Whichever one do you want to tell us if there's more than one. Go ahead. Uh, Oh, I've made, you can't, you can't do all the things I've done without having some really bad ones. I made an investment in a, in a, in, in three 
businesses and they were the ba- in the bankruptcies in, uh, or during my bankruptcy period. And I allowed the previous owner to stay on and he was dishonest. I invested mm-hmm. in him and he failed me. And so I immediately shut him down. I just, I always had a speech I gave that, you know, I'll pay the payroll taxes. I'll do everything that's necessary. Don't mistakenly enter numbers into the financial books that are fictitious. Don't mistakenly or on purpose. Don't let it happen. I want to know if I'm losing money. I mean, sure, I care about that, but more about it, more, I care more about just knowing that I'm losing money. And so one of them was a trucking company. One of them was that engine rebuilder I told you early on in the in this conversation. Um, uh, the owner owed a bunch of payroll taxes, and I put a bunch of money in, and the payroll taxes were his. They were from previous to me taking over. I said, we're not paying that. That's your responsibility. You lost that money. And he, he took out of our checkbook and paid those payroll taxes. Ah. And so that was a bad deal. I mean, what else? You know, maybe one of my best attributes attributes is that I can forget all the bad stuff I've done. <laughs> that is good. Yeah. Well, you know, you can't dwell on it. I I don't, I, a lot of people say you learn by your mistakes. Okay. You also learn by your success. And if something's successful, you repeat it. If it's not successful, you shouldn't repeat it. So there's both sides of that story. But no, I mean, I guess that's the, that's the crux of it. Nice. Well, success is going from, I think I've heard this phrase, success is going from failure to failure without a loss of enthusiasm. So maybe that's a different, a different way of saying that. I don't know. Well, so to add to that conversation is that, you know, when you're 20 and you go out and do something and you fail, who cares? You know, <laughs> you, you've got, presumably, if you're going to live to 70, you've got 50 more years to make up for your loss. Mm-hmm. If you're 30, I still say the same thing. You've got nothing to lose. Now, Maybe if you got a wife and four kids and like I did, and when I came home, I was 39 and I told my wife I was going to go dig ditches if I had to do, she had a heart attack. (laughs) 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 Oh my God, what are we going to do about insurance and all that? So there are some extenuating circumstances that make you have a little bit more difficulty in doing it. But the reality is until you're about 50, 45 to 50, you don't have much to risk. You, if you're, if you're smart with your money, at 45, you could still put enough away to have a decent retirement. Um, you know, I, I guess I look at that from my perspective. I know a lot of people that don't have any retirement. They're going to live off of Social Security. And I guess that's okay. It wouldn't work for me. Well, me neither. And I doubt it would work for a lot of our listeners out there. My favorite question here at the end of the show is, what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? Do your research, do your homework, do your math, do it 10 different ways, whatever you're looking at, at a project and, and then have tenacity and go for it and don't let small roadblocks along the way cause you to fail. If I, if I'd have left the first roadblock that came up when I had the opportunity to do my first surgical hospital, I'd never, I, I, I don't know what, I'd never been in the hospital business, never been in the, in the surgery business. You just can't let that happen. You you've got to rec- you got to have self confidence, discipline, a work ethic, a strong work ethic. But maybe more than anything else, you just got to want to succeed. I think that would that really is the the bottom line. If you don't 
if you don't have the drive to be in business for yourself because you want to succeed and success, success is completely different for everybody. I mean, some people would feel successful if they make a hundred thousand dollars a year. Some won't feel successful if they make $2 million a year, mm-hmm. but so you kind of got to set your sights on, on what makes you feel uh, successful and accomplished. But if you do that, there's just, I, I just, I, I wish I could figure out how to create a course for all those young people <laughs> that I've employed that know so much more than I do that won't, that won't take, they come to the Y end of the road where I'm going to invest in myself or I'm going to take this easy route and keep making my salary. If I could, and, and if I could just get them to have that, whatever that gene is that tells them, take a risk, go to this way. There'd be so many more successful people out there and so many more happier people. It's a pleasure being in business for yourself. It's not. It, it's very it's very demanding. You don't get lots of days off, at least when you're young and getting started. But there's something about it that you don't mind doing it because you're doing it for yourself and your family. There's a lot more meaning behind the actions and the, and the daily work. And Ward, I want to thank you for joining us today and sharing all these lessons with us. I want to thank you for our conversation before we started recording as well. If folks want to reach out, if they want to get in touch, if they want to learn more about you or your business or what you're up to, anything like that, where can they track you down? Well, I'm on Instagram and Facebook at Ward Schrader or just Ward Schrader on Facebook. And then I have a, I have a uh, website that kind of talks about some of my background and some of the things I'm doing now, the television show and whatever else. So yeah, those are the, those are great places to reach me. Awesome. Perfect. I love it. Well, thank you once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind, guys. I appreciate that so, so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys, that gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street casino along with us. I want to thank you guys for tuning in. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.